Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our lesson for this evening is a section really from uh, John chapter 11, which most of you maybe already know is a beautiful story about how Jesus came after his two friends, Mary and Martha, their brother uh, had died. And I'm not going to read all of it to you because it would be uh, pretty much the entire chapter, but I'd like to read uh, some parts. Now a man was sick, Lazarus, from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was one who was anointed, who has anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. And of course, uh, maybe you know the rest of the story. He died. Jesus uh, didn't come right away as they had expected. He came a good uh, four days afterwards. Lazarus had already not only passed away, but people were convinced that he was actually dead. Jesus, uh, of course, shared the sorrow of that death with Mary and Martha, and he comforts them with the wonderful resurrection. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that lives and believes in me, he said, shall never die. And then he asked if they believed that, and they did. And it's a question for us too. And then finally, this account ends with the plot to kill Jesus. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees convened the Sanhedrin and were saying, what are we going to do since this man is doing many sins? If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and to take away both our place and our nation. And then it goes on to tell us how they're going to plan the death of the Son of God. Dear fellow believers, places of the passion. I was mentioning to Pastor Thompson before uh, church tonight that this one was a little unusual because we usually don't think this of this as one of the places where the passion is or where it begins. But in a way, it's, it's quite, quite natural. Do you remember Mary of Bethany? She saved up a whole year's worth of wages to buy some very special perfume to anoint her Savior. What an act of worship. And then she comes and she does that. And what's the response of the disciples, especially Judas? Oh my goodness, this could have all been sold and given to the poor. 
How that must have grieved Jesus to think that somehow his disciples should think that he wouldn't be concerned about the poor. But Jesus tells the disciples that Mary has done this. She saved this up. She has this special way of honoring him because she did it, as Jesus says, because he's about to die. Well, why did Mary get this when the disciples didn't? Because when Jesus was teaching the word of God, she was listening. You remember that occasion where Mary and Martha were both uh, entertaining Jesus of sorts? Martha was all busy about the everyday work, and Mary was listening to Jesus. The disciples must have been listening only with one ear once in a while. Because it just seemed like they had trouble connecting the dots. What would you have done if you were one of those disciples or you were even Mary and Martha? And you knew that in a few weeks time, Jesus, your friend, was going to die. He was going to give up his life for the salvation of the world. What would you have given in a way of honoring him if you knew he was going to take the bullet of eternal death in your place? Would there have been any offering that you could have possibly given him that would have been too much? Well, these are now the friends of Jesus, Mary and Martha. And now their brother has died. And they know that Jesus, Mary at least, has a strong inclination that his time is very close. And they call him to their side. Jesus doesn't come right away. He's got his own purposes. He wanted to raise Lazarus up, and he tells us that this was going to give glory to God. You and I will remember that Jesus performed miracles, and it was these very miracles that sometimes disturbed Jesus' enemies. But before they had any say whatsoever, Jesus is going to bring some comfort to them. They're going to understand something about death. First of all, with Lazarus, it was a very nice thing that he did to restore Lazarus to them for a while in this world. Remember, that's why God gives us people along the way in, in our life. There's some folks sitting here tonight with children and spouses. Who of you wants to lose your spouse? or a good friend, or one of your children, or one of your siblings. God graciously gives us those people along the way in our life to love, to bring us companionship, joy, and happiness. And so Jesus did a wonderful thing 
for Mary and Martha by restoring to them their brother for whatever time that he would have left in this world. But like so often in doing that, he teaches a, a bigger thought, doesn't he? He reminds them why he came. He came into the world to die. To die so that death would no longer ever, ever, ever have any power over us anymore. Think about that. He redeemed me, a lost and condemned creature. Purchased and won me from all sin, death, and the power of the devil. Not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood and his innocent sufferings and death. And then, when it was all done, he said, it's finished. But what happens next? He rises from the dead, doesn't he? We're going to push the passion story ahead a little bit tonight. Because as we view the passion of Jesus, we begin to understand and see that it isn't going to end on a cross. Jesus wanted Mary and Martha to know that Lazarus' life and their life was not going to end in death. It was going to end with a glorious resurrection. And as we've learned from other places in the Bible, a wonderful reunion with all of the saints that have died before us. The resurrection is probably the most comforting thing that we can think of as we live and continue in this veil of tears for all kinds of reasons. One of them, it reminds us and demonstrates for us who Jesus was. On Easter Sunday, I hope that you're reminded as I am every year, there's four major reasons for Easter. The first one, the Apostle Paul describes in Romans chapter one, verse four, when he says that Jesus was raised from the dead with power to demonstrate that he's the Son of God. What a powerful demonstration this is, because if Jesus is not the Son of God, if he is not the God-man that the Bible describes to us, he can't be the Savior of anybody. But in his resurrection, he proves who he is. The Apostle Paul goes on to say in that same book of Romans that Jesus was raised from the dead because our sins are forgiven. For our justification. Every time you and I come to church and we confess our sins and your pastor publicly reminds you that they're all forgiven, he can do that with the confidence that they truly are. He died to pay for him on the cross and through the resurrection God reminds all of us that what happened there is true and it's for every one of us. The resurrection also reminds us that it's a comforting teaching. What are you going through? What problems do you have in life? Do you too see this world changing? 
before your very eyes? Do you too wonder what tomorrow is going to bring? And maybe you too long for the time in your life when you too, for whatever reason, are starting to look more and more forward to the glory of heaven and then are reminded that someday we will leave what we sometimes call the church militant. And we will be forever in the church triumphant. The resurrection also is proof of the scriptures. It was also brought about to fulfill prophecy. One more reason that we, na- we know for sure that the Bible is true. All of those prophecies that were fulfilled in the Old Testament when Jesus was born, the ones that were fulfilled when he lived his life in this world, and the one that was fulfilled when he rose from the dead, and gives us the, not only the comfort but the confidence that what the Bible tells us is true. So this place of the passion, the footsteps of the passion, it's an okay thing to say they begin here. They begin in Bethany. And then soon enough we're going to get to that last week of Jesus' life on earth. And what an important week that is. Did you know of the four Gospels that all four of them donate at least a third of everything in them to that one week, that last week of Jesus' life in this world? And one of the Gospels comes very close to devoting almost half of its Gospel to that one week. Because that's where Satan is defeated and where the power of God dwells in the hearts of believers with the knowledge of who they are and where they're going to go forever. But there's one little last detail here that we also have to talk about if we're going to talk about the footsteps of Jesus uh, leading to his passion. And that's the end of this account, isn't it? Kind of sad. People are waiting for hundreds of years for the fulfillment of God's promise that a Messiah would come. And he's there. And he does all the things that God said the Messiah would do. And when he does them, they reject them. Isaiah said, you'll know this guy when he comes because the blind will see. The lepers will be cured. The lame will walk. The acceptable year of the Lord will be proclaimed. And when Jesus does that and carries that out, they reject them. If they'd only known their own prophets, 
as well as they claimed. You see, in the Old Testament, they made a huge mistake. They only saw the coming Messiah as a conquering king. But they failed to see him as a suffering servant. Do most of you know that there are four great sections in the prophecy of Isaiah, and they're called the servant chapters. I see a smile. Must have just read those. Chapter 42, chapter 49, chapter 50, and then chapters 52 through 53, probably taken all together. How could they miss the work of the Son of God. Sometimes in the New Testament we make an opposite mistake. We only see Jesus on the cross, we only see him as a suffering servant, but we fail to remember he would be a conquering king. He would be a conquering king because these people that were his enemies are going to reject him and mock him and put him on a cross. He would be a conquering king. He would be our hero. And the war-scarred battle markings on him would be his nail holes in his hands and the spear hole in his side. It would be by his death as a suffering servant that he would conquer all of our spiritual enemies. And so Jesus knew that there would be a reaction to his raising of Lazarus from the dead. Some believed, but others plotted his demise. As we again continue through another year where we study the Passion history, we look at what Jesus means to us and to the world as Savior. Let us be reminded again of what it cost him to be that Savior. And let us believe and trust in him with all of our hearts. Amen.